Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to begin to discuss some objections uh, to domestic abuse responses. But before we jump into that content, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it is chock full of resources that we have designed just for you. If you're benefiting from what you hear on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, so today we're going to begin a series discussing uh, some common pushback on um, some standard approaches to domestic abuse work and domestic abuse counseling. And I think that's where I really want to state up front that we're talking about counseling ministry or counseling-based ministry. And uh, the reason why I bring that up is that many of these objections that are coming through listener questions or from outside sources, they're really speaking to counseling approaches and how we as biblical counselors in particular, pastors, church leaders, ministry leaders, can respond well without compromise. And uh, they're often discussed in forms of extremes or ditches, and we don't want to fall into a ditch. We want to be biblical. We want to be reasonable. We want to be rational. We want to be helpful. And uh, so my hope is that in these brief discussions, we can add some clarity uh, as to why we do what we do and why we feel that it's not an extreme or outside of best practice, but uh, that it makes sense. And I think rather than just, you know, writing statements or producing papers Uh, The podcast is a great forum just to kind of share our heart for why we do the things that we do. And the first objection, the the one that I want to cover in this episode, revolves around belief. Now, we've we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I want to frame it in a a way in which it it tends to arrive through our email box or through our, our message boards is, along the lines of, Pastor Chris, my pastor has said, or my counselor is concerned, in regards to believing the victim, that you and many others in the work will uh, beat the drum, you'll contend that we should always believe the victim, and we should present ourselves with a kind of a believe-first mentality. Um, my counselor, my pastor, my mentor says that that's dangerous, that you, you should get both sides of the story, that you really shouldn't operate that way. Could you speak to that? And so that's what I want to try to do today, because I understand the dilemma. I understand the fear. I think I understand the objection to the idea of believe first. And in the context that we talk about that, we're talking about when we receive a disclosure of abuse. When an individual comes forward, either in the counseling setting, in the counseling room, or um, through an initial meeting, 
discloses to us that they are being abused by their partner. Now, I, I think the misconception is that people are just walking into a counseling room and saying, you know, hey, the counselor says, how can I help you? What brings you here today? And the person says, I'm being abused. Full stop, no explanation, and the counselor now must respond. I will tell you that that does happen, but it happens far less frequently than disclosures being uncovered in the counseling process. In fact, many times victims will present with another problem, communication, marriage, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, um, aspects of their life that they're seeking help for. And in the process of helping them, working with them, disclosures of abuse will be generated. They'll be produced. And so I do want to say that it is rare to have the presenting problem be abuse. And when it does happen, it is still important to gather data. And, and I think that's one of the confusions uh, is the thought that we in the work don't gather data. We don't ask follow-up questions. We simply charge ahead. Um, and the reality is, even when you have a believe first mentality, you still ask good questions. Because, number one, and here's one of the reasons why I say we believe what's being presented to us. It's just good counseling practice. I think we do that in other aspects of our counseling and care. When someone, and I don't get to do this as much as I used to, but when someone comes to me or has come to me in the past and presented their primary issue, their presenting problem as despair or depression or sadness, I do assume and I will say this, that more than likely in our time together, we're going to uncover other aspects, that I don't have the full scope of the problem or the issue at hand. However, I do believe what they're saying. I don't doubt that they're sad. I don't doubt that they're struggling with despair. And I certainly don't meet their presentation with skepticism. I meet it with a listening ear. I think that's good counseling practice. And my fear is, as we're talking about extremes, right, as we're talking about the edges or the ditches, when we receive the challenge, you cannot believe what you're hearing. My response to would be, that's exactly what we do in other aspects of counseling and care. Why can't I believe what I'm hearing? I should believe what I'm hearing. Does that mean that I build my entire case framework on the first session or the initial disclosure? No, I, there's so much work to be done, but to negate the need or the ability or the credibility that is gained and offered through listening and believing what we're hearing, to negate that, I think is to undermine our counseling process and counseling as a whole Good counseling practice involves listening and believing what we're hearing. I don't, and maybe, maybe I can grow in this area. I don't recall stepping into a counseling relationship where my initial response to a disclosure, a presenting problem of any kind is, we'll see. It, it really, while true, we'll see how this unfolds. I'm not going to negate someone's 
presentation of despair or anxiety or uh, even if I believe that trauma may be the underlying cause or that idols of the heart may be lurking beneath the surface, um, those disclosures are not met with skepticism. They're met with embrace, with belief. And so when your mentor, your pastor, your ministry leader, you know, confronts you with this idea of, you know, believing first is dangerous, my first response is believing first is practical. It's pragmatic. It's how we function in a great deal of counseling relationships. And if even if you want to step outside of counseling for just a moment, it's also how law enforcement functions. Yes, they have to do an investigation, but their investigation is based upon report. And they start with an assumption of the report. Now, granted, they're going to be investigators. We're not investigators. We're here to care and to comfort. Um, but we be, we begin with the position of belief. I think that's good counseling practice. Two, I think it functionally builds involvement. I think it's part of our key elements of biblical counseling. And if you've been in the counseling ministry or biblical counseling for any period of time and you've gone through um, those initial key elements of biblical counseling and care, you know that gathering data is early on in the process, and that's something I think we should always be doing. I think if we give up on the information gathering stage, we run the risk of giving partial answers to partial uh, scenarios. But the other is the idea of hope, or excuse me, involvement through loving relationships. And I think believing, listening, and giving credibility to the story, I hear you. I believe this is your experience. I want to learn more. I want to listen. I want to grow. I want to ask you good questions so that I can kind of fill in the picture so that I can get a better understanding of what we're dealing with. Those build involvement and credibility between you and the counselee. It builds trust. I think meeting an individual's disclosure with skepticism is incredibly dangerous in that it runs the risk of shutting down the process or redefining the process, um, taking the power, as it were, from the victim and placing it back into your hands. And so I think it's important, again, that uh, we believe, one, because it's a good counseling practice, and I think, two, it builds involvement. The third thing, I just think it's reasonable. I think as you think, as you, you know, process just, being a believer, walking alongside other believers, um, we believe all things, we, we hope all things, we, we build trust with one another, we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we consider others more important than ourselves, we, we try to process the world of help and care through the lens of the other person's experience. Now, some would call that empathy, you could call it sympathy, but just taking a beat just pausing for a moment and relating to what you're hearing will benefit us tremendously. One of the things I appreciate about uh, Bob Kellerman, if you've read any of Bob Kellerman's work, is his um, imagery of co-suffering, which is biblical in imagery, right? We want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection, but uh, impressively enough, or, or interestingly enough, that resurrection power is informed uh, by by suffering. 
uh, we it's going to be difficult for us to know resurrection power without um, an experience of suffering. And so one of the things I appreciate about Bob is the, the co-suffering element of counseling and care. He would use the phrase, I think it's in Spiritual Friends, although don't quote me on that. My apologies, Bob, if I'm missing it, uh, where he talks about uh, crawling into the coffin, the idea of joining your counselee in their suffering, co-laboring through suffering, bearing one another's burdens. And in order to do that, we really have to listen and engage. Um, and I would call that belief. And, and so when I say believe a disclosure, I'm talking about patiently listening and responding and interacting with the material that you're hearing. Just like we would someone who presents with sadness due to the loss of a child or anxiety related to exams in college or uh, eating disorders that, that have surfaced or substance abuse problems uh, that have been present. We, we are going to address what's presented to us first uh, without this cloak of skepticism, but with a aspect of belief and truth and, and that's where I'm coming from. I think the disconnect in some ways, perhaps, is that when we use the word believe, there is this notion of um, dealing with criminality, um, that we are the judge, jury, and the executioner within a disclosure. And, and honestly, interventions, which, by the way, there's no perfect intervention if, if you've been listening for any time, hopefully you've heard me say that. Interventions are all messy. They are all incomplete. Um, you will never handle a, a case of abuse perfectly. Um, you will muddle through in many ways. You, you aim small to miss small. You, you try to narrow your focus by gathering as much data and, and offering as much hope as possible. But I, I say this in regards to I think the disconnect again is some of us are using the term believe like like I am, to believe the disclosure in an effort to build involvement, to listen, to walk patiently, to suffer well with, to co-suffer, as it were, to co-labor, to bear burdens. And I think others may be using the word believe as kind of a wholesale, um, immediate response to the abuse. That um, as soon as I get a disclosure, I have to go on the offensive. I have to you know, charge, storm the gates. I have to take out the abuser at the knees. And, and that doesn't happen at a disclosure. Uh, the confrontation rarely happens immediately. You're, you're processing the information so that you, especially those of us who are men that are going to be in confrontational ministry, so that we're prepared to know what sin our brother is caught in and to at least in some regard have a plan for their escape as opposed to merely taking pieces, small pieces of the information, and wielding them as weapons. They'll quickly be turned against us. They'll quickly fall apart. So when we say belief, I'm speaking from a counseling practice, right, as good practice, as building involvement, as rational, reasonable, and biblical responses to care and comfort. And I think others may be hearing belief as, you know, assuming and moving forward um, without uh, due process. 
And I don't think any of us would deny the need for due process, especially criminally, um, and certainly ecclesiologically. Uh, but that does not mean that we hold everything in skepticism, that we deny the voice of someone who's vulnerable until we feel comfortable. Instead, we respond to what we're hearing. We offer comfort and care. We build safety plans. We ask good questions to determine if there's an increase in danger or lethality. We involve helpers in the work that can assist us, like good advocates, law enforcement where necessary, to come alongside to provide expertise and care. You know, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine at church recently. Uh, I'm blessed to have a lot of friends in the Christian world, in, in my church family and church relationships here locally, who do the same work. And uh, I'm not very unique around these parts. I'm just kind of one of one of many around this neck of the woods. And uh, I was speaking to a friend uh, who is an investigator. That's his primary role is investigating uh, abuse. And we were talking about the fear of false allegations. And, and he and I are very, we're on a very similar page. He was in agreement with a lot of what I was saying regarding false allegations and um, the risk of believing that there's not as much risk in believing what you're hearing as perhaps is presented, that much of the risk of believing the victim is based in fear. And um, uh, he was discussing, first of all, as his experience as an investigator, that false allegations fall apart very quickly, which has also been my experience, that they, they are very difficult to hold water. And then he made a very interesting point. And those that do last, you can almost always find bad practice, like the Duke lacrosse team, which is the classic example. Even though it was, they were cleared eventually, the, the problem lingered significantly because of poor uh, police work, poor investigative work on the criminal side. Uh, but nonetheless, they were cleared and false allegations were exposed. And so I, I think... You know, he's correct. I would agree. I think they're so rare uh, when they do occur. For those of us who've been in the work, they fall apart so easily. And we've seen far more cases of people in power being believed because of their position, their authority, their money, um, than actual victims being believed. That the ditch that we are at risk of falling into, the extreme that we are most vulnerable to, is not to be duped by a false allegation, but to be uh, persuaded by a powerful person. And that's, that's the real danger. And so I just want you as a counselor, as a caregiver, as a helper, to take some comfort that when you sit with an individual and they disclose and they trust you with a disclosure of abuse, and, and you listen well, and you believe what they're saying, and you ask good questions that you're doing good work, that you shouldn't be scared that others challenge that position or posture. If you're doing your work well, you're not running ahead, you're empowering, you're asking good questions, you're looking for ways in which to connect them to solid resources, then you're doing your work well. And that skepticism and doubt is not the answer to fear. 
Love is the answer to fear. How will we love the people in front of us, both those who are hurting and those who are doing the hurting, as a response to our fear and insecurities, as opposed to putting barriers in place to help and hope? I pray that that conversation was helpful. It's just a beginner. We're going to talk about a few more objections and pushbacks, but my hope is that we will be a welcoming people, an open people, uh, a tribe that listens well and responds well to, um, to victims of abuse, to individuals who are hurting. I want to thank you guys for joining me today on the PeaceWorks podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that the platform knows that you value what you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast. Thanks again, everyone. Until next time. God bless.